So every year at Christmas, as well as at Easter, about a week beforehand usually, something happens that uh, comes about to try to shake the faith of Christians. Sometimes it's they find a new document that, uh, you know, from the early church that says that, oh, we found this thing that says that Jesus was married and Mary Magdalene was, uh, was his wife and they actually had kids together. Or they come together and, you know, especially usually during, during Easter's, whenever they, they find the tomb of Jesus that proves that he didn't actually raise up because there are bones inside this thing. Or they come up with some other thing that, you know, is meant to question the reality of the great season in which we are about to enter into the great mystery that is about to be celebrated. And so when I awoke on Monday morning and got text messages that says, the Pope is blessing gay marriages, I said, ah, Merry Christmas. It's soon. Because it's exactly what the world wants to do, is to shake up the faith of the Christians and to take the faith of Christians and to place it not upon the Lord, but upon men. And then to take it and break that trust, to break that faith in men so that there can be no faith at all, but rather confusion and mere self-reliance. And so, as a pastor, I would much rather speak about the things we just read for the fourth Sunday of Advent from the Scriptures, but I feel it more incumbent to respond to the fiducia supplicans and so to give some reflections for our own community here and to pray God's grace to continue to strengthen us and our faith in Him. And so uh, I'll start off by saying I'm still trying to make sense of the thing uh, because what seems to be happening here is, is the kind of the branching out in the, in the theology of blessings of the church to, uh, to something that's not a liturgical blessing but is a, a pastoral blessing. Cardinal Muller himself, the formal, former prefect for the congregation which released this document, himself is kind of raising questions about how do we, how do we reconcile this? How do we, how do we make sense of this theologically in the life of the church? And so, you know, all of your favorite Catholic, uh, you know, talking heads certainly have given something this week in response to it, trying to make sense of these things. And, and I am among their number trying to, to grasp what it is that actually is taking place here. Together with this, I will admit to you that I am not the greatest intellectual in the world. There are many other priests in our diocese who are much brighter minds. I tend to be a simpler one, admittedly. But this is my attempt. I'm fully aware that there may be implications or maybe things that, that I myself am completely missing in this. But trying to gather from information from all sides, trying to make sense of it for myself and and how it is that, that it applies to us in our community and, and, and how we ought to respond in particular. Because this doesn't directly affect any of you because none of you, to my knowledge, are priests who have to give blessings. Um, it affects myself and the deacon. Uh, but that's about it as far as the actual practical day-to-day -day discernment of things. But obviously it affects your faith. It affects your trust in the church. It affects a whole variety of things for each of you. And so, wanting to make a response, hopefully an encouragement for you. And I say this by way of not necessarily kind of making a, a rich, bold defense of the document, but 
a reminder of some things that are important for us to remember as we look at it. And I would say first and foremost, never, ever, ever just read the headline. Ever. 99.9% of the time, if the media is reporting on something that happens in the life of the church, they have no idea what the church actually teaches or believes. And so they don't know how to say the things that are being said. They make things in generalizations because they are not Catholics living in the heart of the church. They're people very often looking from the outside. And even Catholics sometimes in the, in the, in the church herself come with a bone to pick. They don't like Pope Francis. They don't like some of the things he's done or said. And so they're going to read it in a negative light from the first. And some people will think that Pope Francis is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they will think that he has said a lot of things that he actually has not and is trying to push a fantastically pr progressive agenda. And they will think that this just changes the entire course of the church. And it does not. It's for us whenever we have these documents that will come forth from the church to be able to read the document itself. I think it's seven pages long, y'all. That's not terribly difficult. And then we read it. It's good to get some extra input, but also to ensure that we get input from a variety of perspectives, those that are pushing back against it, those that are trying to make sense of it in light of orthodoxy in the light of the church, and to be able to do our own due diligence individually to be able to make sense of it before we begin to uh, take to the social media or take to our own social circles or our text groups or whatever it is that we have around us uh, to be able to, to discourage ourselves and others um, with the reality of, of essentially fake news. And so, to read the actual sources and to do some due diligent work for us. Like, admittedly, it's harder than just to read, a, to read the headline of something and uh, just to, to make an assumption about things, but it's necessary for us to do so. I would say also, as regards this particular document, it is absolutely necessary for us to remember that the Pope is the Pope of the universal Catholic Church, not just the Church of the United States in America. Because the Pope has to deal with things on a regular daily basis that we don't even know about or hear about. He's wrestling with issues that, that we will never even see. And he has to deal with them in practical ways that will deal with and, and, and kind of have an impact upon other places in the life of the church, whether they like it or not. And this is something that's helpful for us to see here. And especially for us, you know, for, for you know, a couple of years now, this, uh, the synod in Germany, uh, the synodal way that seems to be pushing headlong into full-on heresy and to espouse itself to an, another schism and uh, a second Protestant revolt, essentially, in Germany in the history of the church. And Americans have been clamoring for some kind of response, some kind of clarification, some kind of rebuke. And this document is that. It's actually the response to Germany, really, when it comes down to it. And it's helpful for us to, to see it as such, because it's also building upon the responses of the church in this regard in recent years. You know, the Holy Father has been responding to what's been going on in Germany. It's not like he's just kind of sitting by, twiddling his thumbs, going, wow, I really hope things clean up over there. Right? 
He sent you know, several engagements. He sent you know, papal envoys, uh, the, the head of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith who issued this document, Fiducia Supplicans, himself in a subsequent interview this week said that, that the Vatican is, you know, they have a series, a, a group of prefects that are directly going to Germany to try to keep them in line, to keep them on, on the path of orthodoxy rather than to lose them. And so it's important for us to recognize that what Pope Francis is really doing here and what the, the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith is doing here is trying to prevent another schism happening in Germany. It's important to realize that. They're not just kind of coming out of the blue and, and just going, you know what? I think it'd be a great idea to start blessing couples in weird marriages. Let's go ahead and, and just push the agenda a bit more just because, you know, it's Advent and why not? This is not at all what is happening, but it's the fruit of a continued reflection and discernment about how do, we, how do we keep the church from continuing to be divided, specifically the church in Germany, but it has impact upon the whole world because if a slice of the church goes off, then we know that there will be pieces and parts from all over the world that will want to go with it. We've seen it. Protestantism began with just a few and yet now numbers over 40,000 congregations branches, not just individual churches, but branches of Protestantism, 40,000. And it began because a few men thought that they knew a bit more than the life of the church, than the church herself. And so this is what Pope Francis is trying to stop from happening again, to keep unity in the body as much as possible rather than to allow division to take place. And so as a means of doing that, He's trying to flex a bit to see how far can we go to essentially to kind of uh, to offer some appeasement so that the Germans uh, say, okay, well, they're at least handing an olive branch, so to speak. Uh, so this is, you know, this is not a violation of the sacraments. It's not changing the definition of marriage. It's not coming up with formal rights for blessings. It's not doing any of the things that, that the Germans really are kind of wanting to do in other places as well. But it is you know, offering some kind of way to say that, that we need to minister to individuals in difficult situations and not just, hey, when you get your act cleaned up, come see us. So he's trying to come up with a, a creative pastoral, uh, pastoral response to be able to keep individuals and an entire, entire you know, country and more in the life of the church rather than simply cast them off. And so it's to see that, that that's an important piece here. Again, it's not just pushing a progressive agenda. Pope Francis is, is doing what he can to preserve unity in the church. Additionally, this document, Fiducia Supplicans, it begins with and includes on several points references to the 2021 dubia presented that raised the question, is it possible for the church to bless same-sex unions? And the response of that document was negative. No, the church cannot bless such unions, period. It then gives a, a three-page explanation and doctrinal uh, defense of that and an explanation of, of exactly what it is and how we ought to deal with the situation, but the answer was no. And this document, too, begins with invoking that same response uh, that was given by the Vatican on two years ago, almost three, to be able to say the answer is not changing here. The response is still, no, we cannot bless same-sex unions, nor can we bless irregular marriages. 
In fact, whenever the blessing comes, if there is a blessing that is sought, there is actually a whole lot of negative that is more present here than positive. When looking at it, upon my first read of the document, all I saw was lots of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. So, what is it that we don't do? Well, we don't do a public ceremony. We don't do anything that approximates a liturgy. We don't formulate a specific rite. We don't formulate a formal blessing. We don't, you don't use words that approximate in any way the marriage rite. We don't use the vestments or the gestures that will be proper to the church doing these rituals. We do not do these blessings in conjunction with a civil ceremony in any way, shape, or form. Not before, not during, not after at a post-foe uh, post wedding reception. But rather, the only thing that is indicated here as the, the content of the proper place of a blessing is a spontaneous blessing sought by individuals or a couple. A spontaneous blessing. It ought not to be something where the media has shown up and you get to have a nice photo shoot for the New York Times to be able to show that we can finally do what we've been doing secretly for years. That is exactly opposite of everything this document says. What it means is, if a person happens to show up, and specifically this document uses individuals who, who go on pilgrimage or go to a shrine or perhaps are visiting somewhere and desirous of a grace of God to continue to conform their life to the Lord and to the gospel, go to the priest and, and ask for a blessing, the priest can offer one spontaneously, just the same as he does with so many other people. It's my own experience in the life of the church that, that people that come for blessings are not just Catholics. We have lots of good Baptists in our area that come to us looking for holy water. They have you know, people who are, who are not Catholic who walk by and see me in the front of the, front of the church you know, greeting you all after Mass or see me outside walking around and will come and ask for a blessing, ask me to pray over them. And this is, this is what Pope Francis really is saying, is whenever someone comes to, comes to a member of the clergy seeking a blessing, you know, it's not a matter of, of, okay, are you Catholic? When's the last time you went to confession? Are you in the state of grace? You know, we don't ask a, a whole litany of questions that we would, you know, start to, start to wonder at, you know, if it was a matter of, hey, can you celebrate our wedding? Or, hey, we would like to receive Holy Communion. Or, hey, I'm coming to confession. Those are different grounds. What Pope Francis really is, is saying here through this document, through the, the dicastery, is, is greet people where they are and ask God to bless them and to bestow those blessings, trusting that the good Lord will do with them what he wills. And the, the document also offers that. It says, what is it that we pray for? Again, the document, when we read it, it says the things that we ought to pray for is to pray upon the, the person health and goodness and, and, you know, peace and joy in this life, as well as a continued openness and conformity to the revelation of Christ and the gospel, which is simply to say that we're praying for them to open their heart to the truth of the gospel that, that same-sex unions or irregular unions are not good in the sight of God. They're not pleasing to him and they cannot, cannot receive blessings, but rather they require of us a conversion, a change. That's what's being blessed here, is individuals who are willing to receive that change 
And I'll tell you, it's not that many. There are many who, who, you know, are living in such situations that have simply distanced themselves from the church, and they're not coming to me to ask for blessings. Many of them probably would rather spit at my feet, truth be told. But the reality is that the offering is here. To be willing to offer a blessing to a person, knowing that maybe something will change here. That's what we do with sacramentals, is it not? We bear them around abortion clinics. We give them to people that, that we, you know, we offer our, uh, our green scapulars and miraculous medals and St. Benedict medals to individuals that were praying for their conversion or their reversion or whatever the case may be for the closing of particular buildings. And we offer sacramentals and blessings typically are sacramentals. We offer these sacramentals to them to bring about a conversion. I myself wonder about the efficacy of these things as well in my own life as the week that I decided that I was going to come back to the faith, begin practicing my faith again, as well as have an openness to discerning the priesthood, I was in my room and found in the top drawer of my desk a St. Benedict medal that I didn't put there. I don't know who did. My mom says she didn't. I'm not sure if she's just trying to cover her tail on that one, but it's this reality that these things are happening. And sacramentals, they dispose us to grace. They are not grace. They are not blessing. They, they are not like the life of God given to us specifically, but they are sacramentals in the sense that they are something given to us that helps our heart open up to grace of God that is given. And so from my pastoral perspective, what I see the Holy Father is saying, offer these blessings to individuals who are in need of conversion, all of them, not just some of them and entrust to the Lord the rest, for him to do the work, for him to give the grace that needs to be given for conversions to happen, for the breaking of illicit relationships, for the healing of hearts, whatever it is that needs to happen, entrust it to the Lord. This, I think, is the reality that our Holy Father is calling us to, that, again, these blessings are not to be given publicly. They're not liturgical things. They're not something that, oh, on 4.30 Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, we're going to have a special blessings in the church, so come and bring flowers and join up together, and we're going to have photos. That's not an option. Again, an individual blessing given to a particular couple who comes and seeking the grace of God. And if someone comes seeking the grace of God, I have to believe that they're at least open to it a little bit. And so we entrust that to the good Lord. And all of this said, I know still people are desiring more clarity. They wish there would be more of this, that, and the other thing coming from the Vatican. And I don't necessarily disagree. Again, I'm still wrestling trying to make sense of, of the particular details and how pastoral blessings fit into the life of the church rather than simply liturgical ones. But again, not to see it as, as the, the church kind of taking some radical shift, or to see that, that things, you know, are, are going, you know, terribly off the rails for us, but to see it as the, the attempt of our Holy Father and of the, the Vatican Curia um, to, again, maintain unity in the life of the church, in the larger church, the universal church, as well as to provide pastoral care to persons who are in situations that are simply not in, not in conjunction with the gospel, but might be able to tend towards it at some point, knowing that just the same as in the life of the church, that we can't just, you know, make sharp right turns because we are a boat. We are in the bark of Peter. 
We're not in the, in the you know, Mercedes-Benz of Peter. When you have to turn a boat, you turn the wheel and it gradually, you know, keeps going. So it looks like you're kind of still going off course a bit, but you keep going. But as you're turning steadily, you're getting back to the line. And the Holy Spirit is guiding the church. And she's leading, he's leading us, leading her right along the path. You know, so as we're, as we're going along, the Holy Spirit's not going to let us be lost. The Lord promised that the Holy Spirit will always guide the church, and he is. But the church herself is made up of human beings who are not always perfect and not always receptive to the grace of God, to the will of God, to the revelation of God. And we wrestle with that, whether in individuals or in the members of the hierarchy itself. And so, really, my encouragement is not to be troubled terribly much, but to have faith. We know that Peter was, when Peter was out there walking on water, he kept his eyes up on the Lord. But as soon as he took them off, as soon as he began to look at the waves and to see the things around him, he became, he became uh, disturbed in spirit, and he began to sink. But he cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord was there to lift him up and to bring him back safely to the boat. And I think for so many Catholics through the course of this past week, we have been walking on the water of Advent. We've been walking, hopefully, somewhat peacefully, reflecting on the coming of the Savior, preparing our hearts, of living this, this wonderful message of, of salvation coming into the world, reflecting on the persons of our Blessed Mother and St. John the Baptist and of the infant, our Lord, and so much have been preparing well for these things. But this week there have been storms and waves. And the media, both secular as well as Catholic, have done a great job of distracting many Catholics so that eyes have been averted from Christ upon the reflections proper to the season and placed upon the waves. And we begin to sink. And so if we have felt a sinking feeling this week, if we have felt anything that has not been peace in the Christ, in the church, it's good that we are here. It's good that we are in the church today. It's good that we come to be available once more to the grace of God that pours forth from the Eucharist in this Holy Mass, to hear his word proclaimed, to abide in his presence, and to be renewed in that peace, we pray. And so, I would encourage you, again, place your trust in the Lord. Place your trust in the, in the promise that the Holy Spirit is and always will guide the church. It doesn't mean there won't be waves, and it doesn't mean that we won't be off course a little bit here and there. But trust in the Lord, who indeed is guiding all of these things, and he is the one who comes to save us.